Welcome to Passing Judgment. I'm your host, Loyal Law School Professor Jessica Levinson, and today we are going to do a quick summary of what we know thus far from the January 6th House Select Committee hearings. I'm going to talk about both big political and legal takeaways. So let's dive right in. What we heard about was an illegal and unconstitutional pressure campaign by President Trump that he engaged in to try and invalidate the 2020 presidential election results. The big takeaway for me is that President Trump knew what he was doing was illegal, knew what he was doing was unconstitutional. He was told not by one advisor, not by two advisors, but told by a number of people, again, people who wanted him to win, that what he was trying to do, overthrow a valid election, was in fact well outside of what's allowed by the Constitution, was in fact illegal. Now, why does this matter? It matters not just politically, but it matters because legally his state of mind and his state of awareness about the plans and whether or not they were illegal, it matters. It matters if we ever see this go to a federal court case. I'll talk about that more in a minute. Now, while I was watching the hearings, I kept thinking that the January 6th committee really has two audiences when it has these hearings. And I blogged about this a little bit on MSNBC for people who want to read more. And the two audiences are really, I think, the voting public and federal prosecutors. So let's focus first on the voting public. The hearings are designed to show this group, members of the electorate, that there are people who sought to undermine our government. There are people who sought to really tear apart our representative democracy, and they should not be our representatives. This is an argument that I think is being made in the lead up to the midterms. And let's remember how extraordinary it is that members of a party who sought to overthrow the government, again, not all Republicans, but certain members of the party, including the President of the United States, as we know from a federal judicial decision, this has been described as a coup in search of a legal theory, that this is now the party that's poised to retake power of both the House and the Senate. Again, this is not a comment on the political views or the partisan makeup of the Republican Party. This doesn't have anything to do with tax policy, environmental policy, immigration policy. This has to do with whether or not we respect the Constitution and the rule of law. So again, I think the hearings are aimed at at us, the American public, and saying to us that there are people who would not accept the election and wanted to change the outcome of the election by taking actions that are outside of meaning contrary to the Constitution. Now, what about the next group? I think the hearings are also aimed at this second group, Department of Justice officials, and by that we mean federal prosecutors who might show if they decide to go to court, that Trump and others engaged in federal criminal activity. Now, the reporting indicates that Attorney General Merrick Garland said, I'm watching these hearings, some of the prosecutors in my office are watching these hearings, and that they've already requested transcripts of the witness depositions that the January 6th committee has, that they've said some of these transcripts 
are key not just to future prosecutions, but to ongoing prosecutions. That matters. Now, what specifically do we mean by criminal behavior? This would require showing something different from immoral or even reprehensible conduct. So it requires pointing to a specific provision of the federal criminal code and having enough evidence that a federal prosecutor says, I can go to a jury and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this federal criminal code, this specific statute was in fact violated. So let's talk about which provisions of the code are the most likely suspects here. I think the first one, if we want numbers, is 18 U.S.C. 1512. What does that mean? Obstruction or attempted obstruction of an official proceeding. What's that proceeding? It's the counting of electoral college votes that Vice President Pence was presiding over. Now, this particular crime has three different requirements. First, you need that the person being charged obstructed influenced or impeded or attempted to obstruct, influence or impede, two, an official proceeding of the United States, again, like the counting of electoral college votes, and three, that the person did so corruptly. That's where the state of mind comes in. Again, that's where we care about what did the president know and when did he know it? Did he know that he didn't have the power that Vice President Pence did not have the power to overturn the election. Again, that's what part of the hearing was about. Now, what about the second criminal code here? I think it's 18 USC 371.242. You don't need to memorize this for the exam. What is this? Conspiring to defraud the US by disrupting the electoral count. Now, this also has three different requirements. One, at least two people enter into an agreement to obstruct a lawful function of the government, like the counting of electoral college votes. Who could those two people be? Former President Trump and his former legal advisor, John Eastman, who's in some trouble himself, it looks like. Two, by deceitful or dishonest means. Three, and that a member of the conspiracy engaged in at least one overt act in furtherance of the agreement, meaning this can't just be in the minds of Trump and Eastman. For instance, that it means that you need to take an affirmative step to actually try and implement this plan. Now, where do we get these two provisions? These are the two provisions of the federal criminal code that federal judge David Carter, who I mentioned briefly, pointed to and concluded that is more likely than not that one of Trump's attorneys, John Eastman, and potentially the president himself violated those codes. Again, more likely than not doesn't mean proof beyond a reasonable doubt, but Judge Carter was ruling on an evidentiary issue regarding John Eastman's emails and whether or not they could be turned over to the January 6th committee. So that's why Judge Carter is talking about more likely than not, the standard in that case wasn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, to get back to the hearing here, again, it's not a coincidence that the committee keeps using the words illegal and unconstitutional. They're laying the groundwork in previewing legal arguments that could be made by federal prosecutors in a court of law. And as I mentioned, 
Former President Trump's state of mind here is key to some of those potential legal charges. Prosecutors, again, we just read the federal criminal code, prosecutors must in some cases show that Trump had a corrupt intent. And that's why the committee spent so much time playing testimony showing that people told the president that his plan, this pressure campaign to try and get Vice President Pence to basically overturn the election results, that he knew that was illegal. Now, let's take a step back for a minute and talk about why this is illegal. It might seem obvious, but of course, the punchline here is that our system of government is not designed so that one person, the vice president, who might, for instance, himself be running for president, let's remember Vice President Al Gore in the 2000 election probably would have been really interested to know that the vice president of the United States has the power to himself change the outcome of presidential election. Again, that's, of course, not the case. Our system of government is really designed based on distrust, and specifically distrust of power being concentrated in the hands of one or a few. Let's think about what had just happened. We'd broken away from England's monarchy. Our founding fathers purposely created a system of representative government to be miles away from a monarchy. And so what happened is that we dispersed power both vertically and horizontally. What do I mean by that? It means vertically, we've dispersed power between the federal government and the states. Horizontally, we've dispersed power both on the federal level and the state level between the branches of government, legislative, executive, judicial. And so this whole experiment in our structure of government is based on the idea that we want to disperse power because it's less likely that we will get to bad outcomes if we have this system of checks and balances. Now, there's no world in which the founders, who are so worried about the concentration of power, would create a system in which the vice president could unilaterally overturn a presidential election. Again, the vice president acting under his authority as president of the Senate does not have the power to be the sole decision maker when it comes to picking the next president. In this case, Vice President Pence would have been invalidating the votes of about 80 million people who voted for President Biden. And this week's hearing was really designed to show, I think, that Trump knew that Pence did not have the power to overturn the election and that Trump went forward with that plan anyway. Now, after about two hours of testimony, I couldn't help but think of how close we came to the brink here. We have a president who I think it's inescapable to conclude knows what he was doing is unconstitutional. And but for Vice President Pence deciding either because of political expediency or moral conviction or fear of legal repercussions, that he upheld his constitutional duty. He certified those election results. Again, he only has a ceremonial role here. But but for that, our system of government comes very close to collapsing. We would have depended on the Supreme Court saying, you can't do this, and people following that Supreme Court decision. Our constitutional republic, it assumes that people will lie, it assumes that people will behave badly, but it also assumes that there will be safety valves. And I think some may have not realized 
until we watch these hearings, how fragile those safety valves really are. Next time, if there is a next time, this attempted coup in the words of Judge Carter, it will not be searching for a legal theory. Next time, we all suspect if there is a next time, it will be more organized. And so there is work ahead. We need to work on ways to shore up these safety valves. We can reform the Electoral Count Act. We can even look at changing things like the Electoral College itself. This is hard. It's very, very difficult. It's an uphill climb, but it is time. Now, that is about it for me. That's what I wanted to do in terms of a high-level legal and political takeaway of what did we see last week when it came to the January 6 hearings. Next week is going to be a big week, two more January 6 hearings and two more Supreme Court opinion days. We will be back to regular scheduling when it comes to the Passing Judgment podcast. Again, you can find me across social media at Levinson Jessica. Please subscribe, please rate, please review. Please have a great day and we will talk to you soon.